the more we focus on things that are correct and good for our planet, the more momentum we get to move all of us into that direction. What an interesting opportunity to take educated risks, but be rewarded for that with outsized returns. I think in the next three years, we can start to see people flying around in aircraft that use a much more efficient form of propulsion. Welcome to season three of the Beyond Capital podcast. People always ask me, what is the secret sauce to marrying profit with purpose? We're back for another season to bring you the stories of successful leaders that are building and scaling purpose-driven businesses. I'm Eva Yazari, general partner of Beyond Capital Ventures. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Scoot. Together, Eva and I have built and invested in businesses worth millions. We want to show you how conscious leadership translates impact in all facets of a business and how it can show up in a company's operations, product, and culture, sometimes unexpectedly. Whether you're a leader of a company, team, household, or just yourself, we hope you walk away knowing the possibilities of impact for you and feeling inspired to take action every day. This is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is a very special guest in more ways than one. Human Yazari has more than two decades of experience as a CEO, senior executive, board leader, doing all kinds of transformations of global enterprises in aviation, finance, logistics, amazing background. Human has been a leader of three of the largest global specialty finance and leasing enterprises in aviation, as well as complex operational transport enterprises and other logistics enterprises. He's presently executive chairman of Mobility Capital, a source of credit and leasing capital that envisions a world in which humanity's mobility, logistics, and transportation systems are sustainable, inclusive, and resilient. He is skilled at building and inspiring teams and businesses, crafting strategies, leading through change and capturing opportunities emanating from disruption. It's almost done. Human is also skilled at defining and executing on capital allocation strategies in the investment-hungry world of transport and related infrastructure. And I should add my own comments. I think he also has a pretty good sense of humor and is a really nice guy. Welcome, Human. I have a lot to live up to. Thank you so much for that kind introduction and having me back on this amazing podcast. Welcome back. Welcome, Human. If anybody has not figured it out, you are my husband. And yes, that's my biggest achievement. You, thank you. You were on the podcast talking about the CEO mindset in a prior season. But today we wanted to drill down into what is known as the investment hungry world of transport and infrastructure. What does that mean to start? If you think about our world, every single thing that we touch and use has gone through some form of transportation. We, we depend on food being transported to us. We transport ourselves, our supply chains, as we've seen recently in, in the COVID disruption and their importance. Transportation touches absolutely every part of our day-to-day. And also 
I think transportation is what brings the world together and what brings humanity together and shows people from different races, countries and backgrounds that we actually are one human family. So I, I feel a tremendous love for this boring, sort of dirty fingernailed in certain aspects industry without which I think our civilization would, would completely melt away. And what I see and what, what we see at Mobility Capital is that now that transportation is seeing new technologies that allow for new ways of propelling vehicles, of storing energy, and new technologies that allow vehicles to drive themselves, for example, we're at the cusp of a new industrial revolution. And that revolution, as, adds, as Ed said earlier, is moving our transportation system towards resilience, towards inclusivity, and towards environmental and other forms of sustainability. And so not only do we see this huge investment opportunity where every single train, bus, plane, boat, and, and you name it, that burns carbon is currently either facing obsolescence or is already obsolete and is about to be replaced. The investment opportunity is to deploy capital towards this multi-trillion dollar opportunity to replace the old school transportation forms of assets and enterprises and infrastructure towards the new version, which we're seeing just starting to mature and start to scale. Although we're at the beginning, I think, of a very long cycle. Incredible. And I want to unpack some of that. But sure. first, why did you start Mobility Capital Group? When did you start it? And how did you create the idea to basically move from becoming an, from being an operator at times to being an investor? I started it because I have people who believe in me, including you, Eva. And I thought, look at all this technology and look at the fact that we're going to have all these new things like electric airplanes, like hydrogen powered cars and trucks and buses, like ships that have been running on dirty sulfurous diesel that are now being able to run on these very advanced sails and various other forms of propulsion like giant batteries. And having been an aircraft lessor myself for half of my career, so seeing the billions and billions and billions of dollars that these transportation companies, namely airlines, need, I thought to myself, well, who is going to pay for all this stuff? Because transportation financiers are used to assets that have been around for tens of years. If you look at the aircraft that we fly today, they're just slight improvements and better iterations of the aircraft that we had 50 years ago. So as a bank, it's easy for you to lend against them because you know what they're going to be worth in five years and you know what, what they'll do and what they'll be generating in terms of revenue and yield. And you're like, okay, well, I'll lend against that because I know what it is. But if someone shows up and says, this is an airplane, that has never flown before and it uses batteries and we think it's going to last for five, six years and we think it's upgradable and we think that it's going to have this carbon footprint and it's going to have this level of, of speed and payload, but we don't really know yet because we've just done it in lab conditions. Who's going to lend against that? And we thought, well, what an interesting opportunity to take educated risks, but be rewarded for that with outsized returns and therefore attract capital towards an industry that needs more and more capital through non-concessionary but very lucrative ways of, of investing that capital using the same principles of transportation financing but changing our mindsets 
to empower a whole new rollout of our new system. Okay, so dummies like me just want to know, where are we going to first see electric-powered aircraft? Other than uh, with humans in them, with humans in them, or of any size bigger than, a, say, you know, the drones we're seeing today. Your answer was in the question, Ed. I think there's people who see electric-powered aircraft and, and frankly, hydrogen-powered aircraft coming in the next two to five years. And we see there's three technologies. There's electric hybrid, right? So you still have a turbine engine, kind of like the old Priuses, that turn and then charge a battery, and then the battery turns the engine. So that's two years away, and there's people working on that, and the major uh, engine OEMs are, are working on that. And then there are folks who see pure electrification, and that seems to be sort of three, probably more realistically, five years away. And then there's folks who are retrofitting hydrogen onto aircraft that, again, are two to three years away from getting all their FAA and various other regulatory approvals. Now, all of these aircraft are going to be six to at most 18-person aircraft, so enough for commuters enough to actually carry a reasonable payload or mail or inter-island hoppers. And what we see in terms of flying the larger aircraft, so the 737s or the, or the 747s of the world, is a little bit further away, or frankly, a lot further away. And, and maybe the solution to those is sustainable aviation fuel, which is a whole subject on itself. And I, and I don't think we, we have time to go into it. But I think in the next three years, we can start to see people flying around in aircraft that use a much more efficient form of propulsion than we have today. So when you say efficient, do you mean cost efficient or maintenance or what are the big advantages of, of electric aside so from not emitting carbon? I think you're absolutely right. There's carbon emission cuts, right? And if you have an electric hybrid, it's an incremental cut in carbon rather than, you know, it's a carbon zero. And we won't talk about how the electricity to charge the asset is, is, is generated because that's also part of the carbon, right? But, but as we saw in cars, the number of parts that go into engines that are electric and motors that are electric are far fewer than the number of parts that go into internal combustion engines. And that means that aircraft are going to be much more efficient to maintain and to run and cheaper to buy because they have less parts and less maintenance, and therefore they will be cheaper to operate. And there's a whole new generation of aviation OEMs that say we can make aircraft that for the price that is a third of today's operating cost of a six to 10 person aircraft can fly people. And therefore we can create a whole new level of transportation, which is cheap enough to compete with the, with the limousine, for example, but actually is flying and it's efficient and it's environmentally friendly and it's safe and it's scalable. So some people are seeing, and I, I back this, I believe this, a whole new layer of transportation coming into our ecosystem that doesn't exist yet. That thing between the Uber Black and an actual flight or a private jet. And then there's the eVTOLs and the electric air taxis, which, which you know, form part of this as well. I can't wait to get one of those. I know it's going to be so much fun. I'm not quite sure how the traffic's going to work and who's going to be allowed to fly where, but there's a lot to figure out. The thing about traffic though, is that there's so much more space in space than there is on the ground, you know? And so when there you, is. when you go three dimensional, all of a sudden the numbers start to get a lot more expansive. In terms That's of right. Room for, to put things. That's right. 
but the risks get a little bit more, right? Because if you collide up there, it's a bit worse than colliding, you know, on the street corner. That's true. I can only imagine when you think about this, what the inside of your head looks like, because there are so many new technologies and new applications of transportation, as we just said, 3D, using the air, traffic, air taxis that are possible. As an investor, what is your investment criteria to select the applications that you believe will actually work, be safe and effective to meet the needs of the future? So that's a that's a terrific question. We we talked about the fat end of the funnel, right, which is the future which is a world where there are all these things that people are working on, but haven't yet got to regulatory and commercial adoption yet. And as an investor that deploys capital as a lender or a leasing financier, we look for assets that have got to the stage, which is the technology risk having been eliminated. So you're a company that has shown that your tugboat or your fleet of electric vans or trucks or cleaner aviation assets actually work. And they've got enough flight hours or road miles on them to show that it's true. So the risk that we're willing to take, and obviously post a lot of diligence, is that scaling risk and that commercialization risk. And what's interesting is that we're seeing this um, opportunity in a pretty large size when we look at ground transportation and then marine transportation and aviation is going to be the last one, right? Because the power density you need in a battery to actually get something to fly, carry things and and go a long distance isn't yet there. But the power density to get electric vehicles or electric vans or, or even alternative powered class eight trucks on the road is either here or it's almost here. And that in itself is a gigantic opportunity. So we're looking at a lot of electrification themes in supporting fleets, in supporting fleet operators, in supporting the OEMs that manufacture these fleets, looking at the software companies. And a lot of this new generation of transportation assets is very tech focused and tech heavy. So tremendous amount of data collection and moving towards autonomy, which obviously then is one more layer of tech. So funding that. And then there's the infrastructure. So instead of gas stations, you have electric vehicle charging stations, and all of that needs to be funded. And there's all these really innovative people and innovative businesses that are coming to the market, and they have a product, and they need tons and tons of money to scale up. And and, and we're looking at those. And our pipeline is is pretty big. And the amount of education that we need to do is huge. And, and that's where we as a disruptor have an advantage, or at least we're on the level playing field with perhaps the larger financial institutions. Nobody has seen any of these assets before. So everyone who comes and look at this stuff looks at it fresh. So a smaller company like ours, and we've got a few hundred million under management, but compared to some of the bigger institutions, we're a much smaller team, but we would have similar amounts of data on all these assets that I just mentioned as one of the larger institutions. So we feel like we can compete and our nimbleness and our, and our risk appetite and our rigor and our philosophy of partnering with our partners to use our skill sets 
having been aviation financiers, transportation financiers, and having run logistics businesses. And my partner, Andrew, has also set up um, transportation financing platforms, using our skill sets to bring to the party to say, not only are we bringing capital, but we're also bringing our networks and our knowledge to help you scale, hopefully allows us to differentiate and to contribute, not just the money that we have raised for this purpose, but also everything else that we can bring in to help our borrowers and our partners be successful. So cars are kind of cars and those are look like, you know, everybody sees that happening. Um, fleets are interesting. You know, that's happening all over the place, but these it's, you know, I have a little bit of experience in the fleet market. It seems like a lot of them just don't have any idea about some of the economics of operating a, a fleet of electric vehicles, in particular demand charges around the electricity. Do you get to that level with them and kind of look at how their power costs are going to play into things? Or is it just pretty much a simpler analysis than that? No, it's a really complicated analysis, Ed, as you as you rightly point out. The electricity uh, prices obviously fluctuate. And there's certain fleets where you know what your route is every day and you come back to the same depot at night. And therefore, if, if you've got enough of a range in your vehicle, you can take advantage of the cheaper prices at night. And then there's other vehicles where it's more random. You don't know where you're going to go. So charging, you don't know the time and the, and the place, obviously a little more complicated. But, but there's a lot more complexity, which is which charging infrastructure do I use? When is the electric company actually going to show up and you know install the power that I need? And it could take like five years in certain places, right? Especially with the incentives that the government is giving to people or the sticks that people are using, the regulators are using to force people into electrification. We don't yet have enough actually juice in the electric grid or people to install this stuff. And then there's the permitting and then there's the real estate aspect of it. So we try to find a comprehensive solution rather than saying, here's a bunch of money, go and buy a bunch of electric fleet and make sure you pay us back. And, and I think working with people who offer those solutions as operators and us being the source of financing is a better way of doing it than just to be a source of financing because we're building this ecosystem as we go. That's really, really cool. And the boats, I won't even get into that. Air, sea and land. Air, sea, you know, we saw, just, this was before interest rates started to go up, but we saw this, I've seen so many interesting businesses just a pure, super high-end, ultra-luxury electric yacht business. And their factory was looking for working capital to scale up. And look, going away from yachts, but going to something which is a little bit less sexy, but I think so interesting. We're looking at a business now, which is a mobile charger for vehicles. Right. So it's a think of a gigantic battery on the back of a truck that shows up, pulls up next to your truck and fast charges you wherever you are. Right. And one, if you're in trouble and you get stranded because you're in the middle of somewhere without electricity uh, hookups, these guys show up. But actually, more importantly, what this does is allow for people to almost skip over the requirement of infrastructure cost. If you're a parking lot operator and you get a five-year concession from the owner to operate that and you need to put in a charger in every parking lot, you're never going to get your CapEx back in five years, right? Because if you lose the lease in five years, you haven't amortized all that cost. 
But then if you can do a contract with these people who show up with the batteries and charge all the cars overnight, again, it's almost going like from landlines to, to, to cell phones and, and you skip needing landlines, right? And I just think there's so many interesting and innovative solutions to all the problems that we're seeing as we roll out this whole new way of moving things around the planet. And they're all so much better than what we've had before that it's just a joy to be part of this. You know what else is a joy? Hearing someone say innovative. <laughs> There's still a little British in him, although he's becoming American. We got to get finally. you on, American, on speaking some American over here. American. <laughs> especially, especially all being Texans here on this podcast. Yes. Man, yeehaw. You, yeehaw. There's, there is a Wild West element to what you're doing, but you also have this vision for sustainability, inclusivity, resilience. How do you measure impact? You're upholding that as an important part of your work. So how are you practically measuring that? You know, for every different business that we engage with, we try to figure out what is the most realistic and positive impact that we can help trigger and hold the entrepreneurs that we work with to account and help them hold themselves to account and, and to empower them to hold their own stakeholders and customers to account. So we're, we're working on a transaction right now, which is financing a smaller fleet of private aviation assets. So light jets. And what we have said is, look, you will we'll lend money against these assets, but every single mile that you fly has to be carbon neutral which means buying carbon offsets. And in the grand scheme of things, you can argue that that's greenwashing or that's not the right thing to do. But actually, when we don't yet have all those battery-powered aircraft that we are going to have in 10 years, why not use your capital to spark that change today and make what people were going to do, make them do it in a sustainable way and use that as a first step towards this transition that we're going to have to net zero in our transportation systems. So there's one tiny example, right? And, and, and I think when you talk about resilience and um, inclusivity, we saw what happens when our supply chains shut down, or we saw what happens when you need to get a bunch of COVID vaccines to every person on the planet pretty damn fast. And if you are investing in autonomous cargo delivery drones, you can get vaccines to people where there are no roads and you can do it somewhat cheaply and somewhat quickly and somewhat efficiently. And if you think about inclusivity, inclusivity is often related to economic access and price. And in transportation, the more you use a vehicle, the cheaper it gets because you don't have to buy a car and stick it in your garage and you use it for, you know, 6% of the time that you use it and the rest of the time you're just paying for it to sit there and depreciate. If cars are being used all the time, then you just use what you pay for, kind of like what Uber is doing to, to cars, right? But if the whole transportation system, especially based on autonomy, is being used efficiently, then it gets a lot cheaper. And, and that means a lot more people have access to transportation. And think what that does to our society and to access to education or access to jobs or access to critical goods and services. So there's a lot that comes to deploying capital here beyond just making things carbon neutral. Educate us a little bit on the carbon credit market. Is that a viable market to offset 
carbon? Do you think that long term it will be the kind of free and efficient market that everybody intended it for it to be? Look, I think it's one tool towards getting us towards where we need to in terms of sustainability and carbon neutrality. I think that it's one that has yet to be regulated in a way that the the general public and all the stakeholders will agree that this is the right thing to do, right? But I think what the EU, for example, is doing is a multi-pronged approach where there are certain activities that you must do that if you do, you must buy a limited supply of carbon credits. And that means that if you're flying into the EU, for example, you must buy the EU carbon credits. You can't just go plant a tree in Paraguay and say, I've, I've offset it. And that will limit how much we can do in terms of carbon burning and carbon intensive industries. And then there is the carbon offsets that you can just buy because someone planted a forest in another country that has nothing to do with what you're doing. And then there's a tremendous amount of sophistication in that carbon market where people are looking not just at carbon, but biodiversity and protection of land and and economic welfare of the people that live on the land and many, many, many other themes. And look, the skeptics could argue that this is all going to happen anyway, but I kind of think that the more we focus on things that are correct and good for our planet, the more momentum we get to move all of us into that direction. I like carbon credits and I like investing money in making our natural biosphere more resilient and better taken care of. And that's the first step until we get to a world where all of our energy is renewable and it's kind of so cheap that it's almost free, which means we can run batteries and produce hydrogen for free. And anything that needs power is going to be clean. And one day, I hope we have a world like that. But until we do, let's pull every lever that we can to protect our planet. You know, I can't agree with you more. The The first thing that, you know, people do when they're, they want to argue against something is they sort of pick it apart at the edges. So it's like, oh, you know, measuring carbon credits. Here's a couple imperfect examples. So therefore, the whole scheme is invalid. And I just think that that type of analysis is so far from constructive that yeah. it should just be dismissed out of hand. So so what if there's a little leakage? I mean, we know that in social programs, there are some people who take advantage of it. We know that you know leakage occurs in all kinds of massive systems that humans create, be they social support systems or carbon credit systems or taxation systems or schooling systems, testing systems, you name it, healthcare systems. There's leakage, there's errors, there's always things that go wrong. And you want to look at where that happens and try to minimize it. But anyone who thinks as a starting premise that a a huge human created system is going to be free of leakage and errors is a real dummy. No, I, I agree with you. And I, I believe in transitions rather than turning something off and turning it on, especially when it, it, our whole planet depends on it working. We saw the Panama Canal get clogged for like six days and, and you know, all supply chains stopped. So we can't shut off carbon. And, and look, people are going to say, well, you are allowing people to go dig up coal and oil and they do it at the same time as buying carbon credits and just sort of justify their destruction of our ecosystem, 
right? And, and I think the answer to that is, well, at least they are buying carbon credits, which they didn't use to, which will offset some of it. But actually, that's also where the role of government comes in and taxing things that are bad needs to be done by the government. It can't be done by us. It can't be done by, by, by the, the general public. So the government has a role here to make it punitive for us to do things that we shouldn't do, just like they tax cigarettes. And in certain European countries, they tax gasoline a lot more than they do in certain other parts of the world. And that's a brave political decision. And look, I also think that when consumers decide that, yes, I'm going to vote with my own dollars, and part of that is incentives, from a taxation system from a government, right, which is like EV subsidies or or taxing gasoline. It's everyone has to do their part. Governments, businesses, consumers, and everyone. And that's how we slowly sort of move this giant oil tanker of an economy and economic system that we have towards the right direction. And we hopefully leave the planet in a viable and sustainable way for the next generations. I know you extremely well, but I I would love... (laughs) I mean, we are sitting in the same location during this recording, actually, but I would love for our audience to get to know you better and more personally. So let's dive into our rapid fire questions. Okay. Human, what book is on your nightstand right now? Daniel Coyle's Culture Code, talking about how you create a culture that creates the best environment for a team to thrive. And the examples that Daniel gives are these inspirational teams that have done amazing things based on a culture of safety, inclusivity, inspiration, and a strong vision. And whatever you do in life, whether it's lead a big corporation or just lead yourself, I think there's a lot to learn from that. What is your go-to beverage in the morning? Coffee, tea, or caffeine-free? (laughs) <laughs> when I go to bed at night, I think about the cup of coffee I'm going to have in the morning. I, so it's usually a coffee. I'm trying to have a water and wait an hour before I have my coffee. Oh, that's so but fashionable now. It is. I, I don't quite know why. I've been told it's good for me. But I, I love that coffee. Now that I'm in England for a few months in the summer, I sometimes do have a, a British, you know, black tea with milk in it. But nut milk. But yes, I, I can't wait till my coffee. Here's the thing about waiting an hour before you have your coffee. If you're laying in bed for an hour before you have your coffee, I think it counts. That's <laughs> it does. That was what I thought this morning. I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, I've been up for an hour, so I can go straight to my coffee when I get up. Precisely. Terrible incentive for productivity, but yes. Name something that's giving you hope right now. What gives me hope is the younger generation's that I see. It's that our nine-year-old understands that there's trash island in the ocean. He understands that we need to have an environment which is sustainable. He wants to dedicate his life to be being an inventor, to invent things that will take garbage and turn them into useful things. And he wants to invent a freeze ray so that supply chains become more efficient and cold chains become more efficient. And the fact that a nine-year-old is thinking about this stuff gives me tremendous amount of hope. And all the things, all the funny and cool businesses that I talked about earlier, they give me hope because innovation and genius that we're seeing are going to create a tremendous amount of positive opportunities for us to change the way we've done things before. So if somebody in the audience wants to keep up with future of mobility and electrification, air, land, and sea. What is your favorite resource for keeping up to date on 
current events in that market? You know, there's just a wealth of newsletters and websites that we look at. There's a bunch of mobility-focused venture capital funds that we look at that that have their own news feeds and their own pipelines. There are a group of climate investors that obviously play in the mobility space, and we look at what they're up to. Just reading the news and, and seeing what's getting funded on Bloomberg is really interesting for us and really useful. And the aviation magazines talk about all the progress that's happening in in the aviation world so it's very very broad base and even the the things like the tech crunches of of the world and the tech focused newsletters and websites as well are focused on mobility so it's a pretty broad funnel aside from your wife's podcast what is your favorite podcast that you listen to <laughs> i love I had to say it I love listening to how I built it. I find it very inspirational to hear the stories of entrepreneurs who have just moved heaven and earth to achieve their visions. And, you know, when I go to bed at night, I listen to podcasts and I used to listen to the news and that gave me nightmares because the news is always full of bad news. And then I used to listen to to things like how I built this and it wouldn't let me sleep because I wanted to keep up to hear the story. And what I've started listening to is just history podcasts, just factual recounting of history. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that you could listen to, but I find that that puts me to sleep. Fair enough. No offense to history teachers. And what's your favorite way to unwind? Is it listening to history podcasts or something else? I, I love playing tennis. I love hike, walking and hiking. And I can't wait in the morning, in addition to the cup of coffee, to see our kids and, you know, the when you wake up and it's usually a little too early because they're up at six and they're ready to go. But their energy at six o'clock is positive and it is engaging and they're the most reasonable versions of themselves as little people as you're going to get. And it kind of deteriorates from then until six or seven p.m. when they have to go to bed. But that gives me a tremendous energy and joy. What is advice that you would give to your younger self? You know, you, if you watch Ted Lasso, you see in the changing room, there's a sign up on the, on the, on the wall that just says, believe. I think believing yeah. in myself is the biggest advice I would give to myself. And I have to give it constantly. But I think when you're young, and some people may be wired differently, but when you're young and you're thoughtful, you can think of all the things that could possibly go wrong. But why don't you think about all the things that could possibly go right? Since you are reading The Culture Code, to wrap up this episode, can you tell us how you cultivate a company culture that reflects your mission and purpose? How do you do this at large businesses? How are you intending to do this at Mobility Capital Group as a conscious leader yourself? Culture is, I think, the most powerful tool that any leader has to run any organization. And you can legislate and put systems and processes in. And as, as another one of my favorite books, the, the Power of Habit says, you fall to the level of your systems and processes and you rise to the level of your vision. So that vision, I think, is up there with, with, with your culture and you rise to that. And building a culture, I think, comes in many ways from the example which the leadership of that organization sets. So you are having to be a living embodiment of what you think the right culture is. And you have to behave that way. You have to communicate it. You have to reward people for enforcing it. And you have to hold people to account who are not 
behaving in the way that you you hope the culture of the organization would be. And it's slow. And again, going back to Ted Lasso, you see how Ted changes the culture of this team and this whole organization just through his own projection of this believing, positive, well-meaning, never giving up guy who's going to do everything he can to make sure that his team members succeed. And I think a leader who makes sure that they're doing everything they can to ensure that their team members are the best possible versions of themselves so they have the highest chance of succeeding is how you make the right culture. Thank you, Human. Always great to have you on the show. Thank you for being one of our last guests of season three. It's been incredible to have you. Thank you for having me. Really cool conversation. Thanks for sharing all your insights. Thank you guys for doing this amazing podcast. It it is my favorite. Bye. Once again, it's clear that conscious leaders can find a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company in a truly holistic way, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me at EA Stevens on Twitter. And you can follow me at Conscious Investor on Instagram.